Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. We didn't eat anything that weird. Okay. There was one restaurant in Cantau which offered um, snake. You didn't go for the snake? No, but they had the snake in like a glass jar and you could you could see. You know. It was alive still? No, I think oh, it was dead. Okay. Uh, they, they had snake on. They had snake on the menu, and they had crocodile on the menu. I don't think crocodile is that weird. I don't know if it's that weird. Oh. I feel. A, I think I'd feel a bit odd eating a crocodile. Okay. Damo has probably eaten a crocodile at some stage. It tastes like chicken, like any white meat. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sub- like tasty or just sort of standard uh, issue. It's a bit gamey. It's a bit. It's a bit like you know rabbit. You know, it's like in game, it's tough. Okay. But if you uh, tenderize it enough. Tastes like chicken. There you go. <laughs> Have you had crocodile, Andrew? No, never. Horse? Yeah. Yeah. Big in Italy. No, and the population of the UK accidentally ate horse a couple of years <laughs> yeah. ago. <so. laughs> anyway, that's enough of that. Joining me, Eden McCourt, on today's One Football podcast is Lewis Ambrose. Hello. And Andrea Agostinelli. Hello. Should you wish to get in touch, dear listeners, the email to send your love abuse or questions to is podcast at onefootball.com or you can get onto iTunes give the pod a rating and leave a comment to let us know how you think we are doing it would as ever be most appreciated so we start today with the big Serie A sacking and that is Christian Bucci's time at Sassuolo it's bookier oh uh, and I was doing one. and I was doing so well with the Italian surnames you got my surname and not this one okay well I am in shock um, in other news some bloke called Vincenzo Montella has yeah. been uh, I got that one okay yeah. that's, that's easy enough has been sacked by AC Milan after 17 months in charge which one would you most like to talk about Andrea Sassuolo or, or Milan well, <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll, should we go with no, Montella? We, we, can, we can start with the uh, with the Simiran because yeah, uh, yeah it was uh, uh, less uh, expected than the the Sassuolo firing, right? Yeah. The, so the the big question is then where did it all go wrong or what what's gone so wrong for Montella? Lack of results, lack of identity. I mean, they are uh, uh, eleven points behind the fourth place, mm-hmm. so the club uh, need to get the Champions League for the next year. Because they spend a lot during the summer, and they have various loans and things that you're yeah, paying back, yeah, yeah. with and obligations to to spend money. I think in next year, so yeah, mm-hmm. Frank Kessie, yeah, Frank Kessie, um, just everyone, uh, Rodriguez, yeah. uh, Chalanoglu, everyone. Mm-hmm. And the fact is that if you ever watch the game of a similar, you never got the impression they the players know what to do. There was a lack of identity. Uh, Montella swept too early on the back three for putting Bonucci in the best uh, situation, but things didn't turn well. Uh, they he struggled Montella to find a real um, place for Suso, mm. and then and then with the lack of results, uh, just uh, that was the end. Uh, it was unexpected. But not like uh, you know um, a big bomb out of nothing. Mm-hmm. I, it's one of the more interesting statistics I read yesterday was that Milan have played twenty three games across all competitions this season without ever having the same starting eleven from one game to the next. Yeah, yeah. Wow. and that's one one of the points. I mean, th- there's a, there's been a lot of injuries. I mean, uh, Bia missed the first two games, then uh, Conti torn his uh, ACL. And then uh, there are other injuries. 
you in added to in addition to that you got three strikers that basically doesn't score uh, you got Kalinic, uh, Andre Silva and uh, Cutrone and they are not scoring so it just turned bad and they didn't get the win against any of their opponent so it's a little little bit of bad luck because they should have at least get a draw against Roma and Inter but I mean, Montel is the bigger. It has died for his sins, yeah, basically. Mm. I mean, they're eighteen points behind Napoli at the moment. Yeah. Well, the the biggest concern is they are eleven point uh, uh, under Roma mm-hmm. in fourth place, mm-hmm. and they are uh, even behind uh, Lazio and Sampdoria. So that's tough to uh, to digest, and. For the club, it's uh, as I told before. They need the Champions League. They are waiting for the uh, answer for from UEFA about the um, voluntary agreement. Their plan is a little bit too uh, hard because they uh, they try to explain that they will get they will earn money in Milan uh, from the next Champions Leagues and from the merchandising in uh, China. Mm-hmm. So they have to hope. Uh, that UEFA will believe in this plan, otherwise they will get some uh, fees or fines, and they will have to sell some player na- next year. Mm. It's a tough situation, and right now they have to uh, hope that Gattuso proves prove himself as a great coach. <laughs> yeah, well, <clears throat> that's that's interesting. Of course, yeah. the level-headed Gattuso is just what you need at, at this. <laughs> At this stage of the season, yeah. he's of course made 400 appearances for the club as a yeah. player. He's now head coach, or he was head coach of the club's youth team. Yeah. He's the new first team coach. Uh, what's the reaction to this amongst kind of Milan fans? Are they happy with somebody like a club legend like Gattuso coming in? I can talk to myself. It seems like a deja vu because we got uh, back in 2014, we got Seedorf in place of Allegri oh, then we yeah. then we got Inzaghi imagine replacing Allegri with Seedorf yeah <laughs> who would do that <laughs> sorry go on no uh, you, you see you see all these uh, former players that came in, uh, on board became coaches and after 3 months they got fired so uh, it's hard to accept it i saw the news conference today gattuso talk uh, uh, humble as as usual mm-hmm. is uh, he know what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what he can bring on the table uh, on tactic um, on a tactic aspect, but he is the right guy to put the players against the wall and making their taking their responsibilities. He, he can explain better to than uh, anybody what it means to play for AC Milan. That that's the point. Is that something they need though, or is it more? Is it more like a, is it more of a tactical problem with the with the side? It's both sides. I mean, the, the tactical problem is uh, is evident. The the back the back three gave the opponents uh, too many uh, spaces in mm-hmm. the field, and every uh, turnover became um, um, an uh, an action that ca- that bring to a goal. Mm-hmm. So it was a big tactical problem that must be solved. But on the other side, you didn't see the uh, you didn't see players enjoy the time that they are spending with AC Milan. All the uh, good times that that were in the summer now passed away. There are troubles. The, um, because the, there was so much optimism in the summer. Oh, I mean, we came, Milan came from three seasons of bad results. Yeah. And 
out of nothing, they spent 200 millions. And then the season tickets were up. Oh, I, I, I was there in San Siro against Craiova. It was unbelievable. Yeah. When they presented Bonucci and Villa, it was goosebumps. And now you get to boost the team for their results. <laughs> it's a completed... Uh, the it's scenarios. a funny old game, Lewis. <laughs> yeah, it is. Mm. It is. It's, and it's a, a, a sort of an Italian football neutral, I guess, myself and you as well. No, I've got an Italian team. Oh, you do? Who's that? It's Roma. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I, guess, I guess I would describe myself as something of an Italian football neutral and it's sad to see this happening to Milan. I think the the media got carried away in the summer. I think M- Milan themselves mm. were saying like no, we're not going for the Scudetto. We want to finish in the Champions League. And the media started going like, "Oh my god, they're going to win the Scudetto." <laughs> um but now they're as as Andrea is saying, they're miles away from even They the, the hired Champions a League, new so. they in the summer they hired a new uh, communication manager, mm-hmm. uh Fabio Guadagnini. Is making a terrible job, um, uh, a hell of a job, sorry, uh, because the like never before the communication for AC Milan is clear, the message is clear. Today, uh, for example, Fasson explained clearly to all the journalists why they sacked Montella, and he just said that we gave them 23 games and he didn't get results and uh, an identity. That That's all. In their tweet, I don't know if you saw this, Lewis, in their tweet saying that we're, they're sacking Montella, they actually tagged him. Ouch. I thought that was a yeah, bit much. That's, that's cool. Yeah. My favorite fun fact about Catuso, he owns a fish shop. Oh, yeah. In Gallarate. Okay. <laughs> Have you been? <laughs> no, but uh, a lot of friends of mine been there. Okay. He got uh, a restaurant too next to Gallarate. I think he's, I don't remember the name of the city. Maybe he's Angera or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a small, small town next to Varese in the north of Italy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, another great uh, Italian footballer business is it Maldini and Vieri. Vieri had a clothing line together. Yeah, but uh, it's a little bit uh, strange story because they they think that uh, the they get to they got bankruptcy. Yeah, so they've been uh, under judgment right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's not so. Don't, don't speak. It might be libelous. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay, but they did they did have a clothing business yeah, together. Yeah, with tarts. It was called Sweethearts. Yeah, it that's was the, the, a big the ar- a big art in the in the middle of the t-shirt. <laughs> that's the worst name ever. I thought Vieri and Maldini might come up with something a bit a bit better than that. It's a bit too close to sweet tarts. It is a little. Yeah, it is a little. Okay, do we think Gattuso will be there in the long term? I don't know. I think no. Even if even if um, he got the qualification to the next Champions League, because they're looking for Milan is looking for a top manager. Carlo Ancelotti. Antonio Conte. Yeah, because oh. they, they already tried to hire him when it was when he was um, the the coach of Italy, mm. but they didn't get him. And I think they are waiting just the moment uh, that he will leave Chelsea. Ancelotti will never take again the the, no. the role. He, he will leave Chelsea in the summer. I think that's that's pretty obvious. Yeah. And, okay. And if I can spend one word about Sassuolo, yes, you can. <laughs> Uh, no, j- just a few words. They hired uh, Giuseppe Iacchini. Yeah. And it's like the Italian Tony Pulis. You <laughs> 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 were all the time his head. Yeah. You know, and he always take job after a coach being sacked. Yeah. So if you if you have the opportunity, just check the photo of the news conference. They gave him the official uh, head of Sassuolo. <laughs> Speaking of Tony Pulis and press yeah. conferences, he, he doesn't wear a suit to Premier League games mm-hmm. he never That's has yeah. 
after Premier League matches, Tony Pulis goes in the shower, changes into a suit, and then does his press conference in a suit. <laughs> you know, he stands up for his and press conference. And he stands up as too. well. He refuses to sit down in the press conference. Wow. Mm. Very strange man. Yeah. Uh, finally, before we move on to a bit of Bundesliga, the, maybe the biggest game of this season so far is this week with Juventus yep. and Napoli. Yeah. Are Napoli going to show their true title credentials? Uh, Please say I, yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. But um, I mean, they are uh, a title contender um, in, a, in any case. The fact is that as never before, they got a real uh, challenge to knock out Juventus. If, because if they win... It uh, never happens. If they win, they will have seven points ahead of Ju- Juventus. So it will be tough. On the other side, if Juventus win, they will claim a clear message that they are not yet dead. So How are they doing without Fauzi Gulam? They're struggling. They're struggling more than expected. Because the left side is their strong side. Yeah, yeah, and uh, because Insigne play on uh, and Hamsik as well plays yeah, more yeah. to the left. So they uh, trying to put uh, Mario Rui uh, in place of him, but he's stronger, struggling uh, a little bit, and that's one of the only I think tactical uh, issue for Sari uh, coming to the game. Who is gonna play on the on the left? Because if Rui is gonna play on the left, Isai is gonna play on the right. Other side, um, Isai will play on the left and Manjo. On the right. Okay. Give me a quick prediction for the game. Oof. <laughs> Napoli 2-1. Oof. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Now, elsewhere, the game of the weekend took place in Dortmund, Lewis. Mm-hmm. Just to remind, dear <laughs> listeners, Dortmund were 4-0 up. There were 30 minutes left on the clock. And that's where I turned off. What happened after that? Uh, I presume Dortmund won. Uh, Dortmund capitulated. <laughs> I, I, it's probably the word you would use. Yeah. My word of choice. How did Schalke turn it? Was it a Dortmund capitulation or did Schalke turn it around? What was um, it? it? Schalke turned it around and Dortmund had absolutely no response and then capitulated. I think these things are never just one-sided. Um, Schalke were excellent after the break. Actually, after the half-hour mark, um, uh, Domenico Tedesco brought on Leon Goretzka, who is Schalke's star player, wanted by pretty much everybody out of contract at the end of the season. Wasn't quite fit, which is why he wasn't starting ah, the biggest okay. game of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but 30 minutes gone, 4-0 down, uh, Tedesco felt like he didn't have much of a choice, so he he brought Goretzka on for McKenney, the young American, and the game was turned on its head completely. I think after half-time, Schalke, for 10, 15 minutes before they scored their first goal, they looked like they were going to score. Mm-hmm. And from anybody watching, I don't know, minutes to 60 onwards, I think the fourth goal was pretty much inevitable, which sounds ridiculous to say in a, when a team was 4-0 up. But that's sort of how it went. Schalke are just the second team in Bundesliga history to go 4-0 down and come away with a point. Good for them. Yeah, good for them. Yeah, I mean, it, it, Tedesco's doing good things there, though. Yeah. It, this, this, he, he deserves a bit of praise, I feel. This never would have happened at Schalke before, not in for a very long time. The team is young. It's been young for years, but the players sort of performing in fits and starts. But now he's actually got them really clicking, really working hard and showing a lot of competence. The, the Dortmund game was so, so out of the blue. I, Schalke's last six or seven games before the Dortmund game, uh, not one of them had uh, featured more than two goals. 
Oh, okay. This is, I think they were unbeaten in six or seven in the Bundesliga. Mm -hmm. They'd lost 2-0 to Hoffenheim just before that run. And then there was a series of one-all draws, 1-0 and 2-0 wins. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and they've just sort of, they're very, very sensible, which is something that Bundesliga fans haven't been able to to say about Schalke no. possibly ever. No, not uh, for a long time. Yeah, I, it's sensible now. Max Meyer is playing this weird role almost at the base of midfield, a tiny number 10 playmaker. Everyone's seen him growing up as, and now he's playing almost at the base of midfield, yeah, with Leon Goretzka next to him. And the team is just pretty much sensible and then has enough guile and determination to grab a goal when they have to at the other end, which is why I think Saturday is even more enormous for them than it appears at face value because it shows a complete other side. When they turn around, they have to score four goals. They actually oh, managed yeah. to do so. Well, the immense belief that will give them. Yeah, I mean, so Schalke have released T-shirts that say Derby winners. They've, it's on the club shop website. They've released Derby Seager T-shirts. <laughs> I'm following this. Um, that's per that's well, I mean, that's fantastic marketing. It, it, feels, like, it must feel that. like you've won the Derby 5-0. Mm. To, to come back from 4-0 down. And uh, the same for Dortmund. Dortmund have come out from this game with the same amount of points as Schalke, but it feels like they've lost 5-0 and been hit by a bus. Yeah. And their manager might be hit by... Something. Something very, yeah. very soon. Just one win in October and November for Dortmund, and even that win came against FC Magdeburg in the German Cup. It's not, it's not really going right for Peter yeah, Bosch. Ten, ten games, Magdeburg in the third flight are the only team they've managed to beat. Mm. Uh, and the recurring theme at the moment, it wasn't so much a thing, I don't think, at the beginning of the season uh, when the team was winning, but certainly now they are worse in the second half in every single game. Obviously, leading 4-0 mm. and drawing 4-0 is a drastic example, but even the Bundesliga game against Stuttgart last week, last Friday night, the the same they were one all at half time and lost two one the the one all and had played quite well for a team that hadn't won in six games mm. in the league, um and in the Champions League again as again uh, Apo and Nicosia playing in Dortmund were absolutely battered for the first half but Dortmund didn't manage to make it count and what's happening why why is there just that difference between the first half and the second half <laughs> some some sections of the media are trying to blame Bosch's fitness training mm -hmm. uh, if you look at the figures they're running as much in the first and second half it, it doesn't seem to be any you know, marked difference um, on Saturday and maybe against Stuttgart as well and the Champions League game against Tottenham the same thing again played a great first half and threw it away in the second um, the biggest difference would appear to be actually just other teams reacting to how Dortmund are playing and making adjustments and Bosch standing on the touchline not knowing what to change in mm -hmm. reaction to that I, I think Tedesco especially bringing on Goretzka um, Schalke was so much more intense in the second half and Dortmund just had no response. They couldn't up their level. They there were there were no tactical adjustments. Um, and the uh, the really depressing simplistic ploy in the last fifteen minutes was just to put on more defensive players. I mean, when you when you can't keep hold of the ball, maybe you put on Shinji Kagawa, who's who you can trust to have the ball. To calm things down. Yeah, and and at the moment the team isn't set out to keep the ball particularly well when they're under pressure. Julian Weigl, I think, completed fourteen passes. On, what? on Saturday Julian Weigl last year was completing 14 passes every 14 minutes mm. of a game that's incredible um, the, the, when the ball's in the defence they're just not finding him and you know Weigl is 
somebody you can trust completely in possession. Yeah. And for some reason, Dortmund aren't figuring out a way to get him on the ball when they need to just calm play down for a bit. And I think that's the root of the problems. Everybody just panics. How long has Bosch got? It's hard to say. I, I think most people thought Saturday... Especially coming against Shakhtar, I'm, not, not, I'm not just terribly surprised he wasn't sacked yeah. right after the game. Not just that result, but coming against Schalke, yeah, I think there's a big, there was a, quite an expectation that it was his his last game. He his interview on Sky after the game was astounding. He he just he listed a load of events that happened in the game and then just followed each of them with, and that can't happen. Right. Well, it did, and you are actually <laughs> yeah. the man that's supposed to stop them from happening. I think he's, he was like, oh, you know, we had a chance for the fifth goal, and when you're 4-0 up, needing a fifth goal, that can't happen. Yeah. And Aubameyang's red card, that can't happen. And conceding an injury mm. time from a set piece, that can't happen. But they all did happen. Um, I think I think he might even have to the end of the season, as long as things what? don't go horribly, because Dortmund have no idea who to replace him with. Um. I think right now, if he was sacked, they were linked with Peter Stoger in the summer, who is bottom of the Bundesliga with two points with Cologne. Mm. Uh, Niko Kovac was linked in the summer, and Lucien Favre was their number one target, who Nice, despite performing awfully in Liga, are still not Vincenzo Montella is free. Oh, yeah. And he did good in the Europa League, which Dortmund will be playing in. Yeah, they will. <laughs> so, Luis Enrique know. as well. But Dortmund will only appoint someone Luis who can, Enrique? Can only, they will only appoint someone who can speak German as well. I okay. think the Carlo Ancelotti episode showed the pitfalls of not following that idea. Yes. Elsewhere, you mentioned Cologne. 13 games. Two points. Two points. They beat Arsenal on Thursday. Though. They still beat Arsenal. Yeah, they seem to be doing okay in the Europa League after a shaky start. So I think a win in again a win in Belgrade and they'll qualify. They're going yeah. to keep hold of Peter Stoger and in the Bundesliga right now, it's hard to see how they survive. To be honest, because they the, did so well last season too. Yeah, Anthony Modest left for China and that crumbled. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, they just. They're also without their their best player in Jonas Hector, who uh, Torres uh, ACL, I think, is out for the probably the whole season. Um, it's not going to help when your best player is no, out with an you, I mean, ACL you, injury. You sell your top really? goal scorer to China and then your yeah. your best player's out for the whole season. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, uh, you can't see them winning at the moment though. Finally, Japankas has lost his first game as Bayern manager. Pretty poor performance against Gladbach. Yeah, another one. They were Any, bad anything to Anderlecht. anything to worry about there, or is it just uh, a once? I mean, there's a lot of problems at Bayern, but anything. there are a lot of problems at Bayern. Um, the, the only thing I would say is that Bayern haven't performed much better under Heinkes than under Ancelotti. Mm. They've won nine out of ten games. They won nine in a row, but a lot of those games, Anderlecht, for example, in midweek, um, a game away against Hamburg is, I think, it was his second game. They've not played really better than they did under Ancelotti. They've just been getting the results. They've been getting the goal to go ahead or whatever. Right. Um, did Lewandowski dye his hair? He did, and it looks really bad. Okay, I couldn't awful. quite figure out yeah. whether it was a natural, a natural thing, or um, whether he died it. But yeah, Jupp Hank is he's lost, including this one. He's lost two spells as Bayern manager. He's played Gladbach six times and won in ninety minutes once. Wow, Gladbach legend Jupp Hank is. I don't know if there's more to that than, <laughs> than is legal, perhaps. <laughs> So apparently there's been loads happening in France these days, so we thought it was about time to get across all of that and dial up friend of the pod, Andrew Gibney. Andrew, let's start with the big game of the weekend, PSG v Monaco. Uh, it looked like it was the Neymar show once again. Yeah, it was the Neymar show, it was like the PSG show. I mean, a, a bit of a 
not quite the the spectacle we we got used to last season, probably season before. Monaco two one flatters them when PSG could have could have scored three four five six. Uh, Neymar was the star. He, he's probably a bit upset with uh, Kylian Mbappe this week. He could have had a couple of assists as well as his penalty. Uh, Mbappe, as someone said on Twitter, showing full respect to his old club by missing three one on ones. So yeah, I mean, it could have been a lot worse if Monaco not really not really up for the battle and PSG just sort of strolling through. The league basically, they were really good. Neymar's been, I mean, sensational. What fourteen goals, eight assists in fifteen games. I mean, it may not be worth two hundred million, but it's not far away. Uh, how are him and Cavani? Has their relationship coming along? Are they still the best of friends? <laughs> yeah, there was a, a nice. Uh, I think it was on Instagram. Cavani was holding sort of a T-shirt for one of Neymar's sort of charity sort of projects. So they're obviously getting along. I think it helps that both of them are scoring goals and not fighting over penalties anymore. I think as long as Cavani's banging them in on the pitch, he's not too bothered who's taking the penalties. Uh, I think I, I was working out he's on course for something like 44 goals this season, Cavani in the league, which is which is not bad. Consi- yeah, considering the amount he misses along the way as well, that's not that's not so bad at all. I mean, I'm, I'm one of his biggest uh, critics, but yeah, he's, he's sticking them away. And he's one of those players, I think if you give him too much time to think about it, he you'll miss, but if it's sort of crosses into the box, a first touch finishes, and his movements so good that he, there's not many better at finishing in those situations. And now he's got Neymar to take the kind of shine away from him. He doesn't have to be the the superstar. He's he's thriving in that role. He's a bit like the Uruguayan Robbie Keane. That's uh, <laughs> how I would compare him to. Anyway, I mean, it's it's. I mean, you you say that the scoreline flattered Monaco. It's it's gone. It's really going wrong for them this season on all in all competitions. Yeah, I think even more so the Champions League. They were they were abysmal in the Champions League, and it, it's hard to to sort of you're trying to work out why. And obviously, they lost a lot of players in the summer. You look at that's a quality: Benjamin Mendy, Bernardo Silva, Mbappe himself. And when you look at what what Leonardo Hardim saying and what uh, Vadim Vasilev, the the vice president, saying, they're not panicking. They know this is a project, and they know that you're going to have ups and downs when you sell these players. I mean, after the Champions League, they were saying, yeah, we know that this is going to happen and you have to wait and see how these players develop. And you look at the seasons before they won the league, they weren't fantastic and they struggled a bit and defensively they were a lot better. But then they had this sort of all exploded last year was maybe the end of the cycle. So they, I think they understand that it's starting again. And you've got to look at these jumpers at Telemons and Keita Baldi have to learn the Monaco way and learn the league and learn the Champions League and I think if, if if they if they don't do as well next season again I think that's when more questions will be asked but I think they're, they're quite realistic that even in Hardim said that they, they know they're not in a title battle they knew that the target was never going to be to win the league again they're just looking at developing players and, and sort of keeping the project rolling on which is nice to see that sort of level of understanding and sort of realism that they know PSG are on a different plane than them, so they're just happy with, with what they're doing. Uh, you mentioned some of the problems that Monaco have, which makes me wonder, with PSG, are, are there any weaknesses there? They just look so impenetrable all the time. Yeah, you look at the league results and you think, God, they must have one of the best defences going. But I, I, I still think when it comes to the big Champions League games, when we get to the knockout stage, the sort of quarterfinals, I imagine they'll get at least to the quarterfinals, that's when you're going to see how good this team really is. 
Thiago Silva comes under a lot of criticism for when it comes to the crunch. He isn't the captain, he isn't the leader, and he sort of disappears a little bit. It's interesting to see with Neymar there now, uh, who's going to step up and be a leader. It might be, might be Neymar now, it might be the leader. But I think defensively, I think they can be tested by a lot of these sort of elite teams. Dani Alves getting on, and he obviously ran page down that right flank. You can get in behind him. Thiago Silva, I'm still not fully convinced now, is still one of the best defenders in the world. Levin Krozawa as well. League gun teams aren't going to punish them. I think when we get down to the nitty-gritty, you might see they come under a little bit more pressure. And that's where, when you pay $200 million for Neymar, you pay, they're going to pay 160 for Mbappe. That's when you're going to see if they've made the right decisions. Uh, one last PSG question before we move on. Uh, yeah. Is uh, is Julian Draxler going to leave anytime soon? I'd be very surprised if he left in January. There's a talk of a loan deal to Liverpool asking Arsenal. Who, why would PSG let Draxler go on the loan in January? That made absolutely no sense to me. He's playing in the midfield at the moment as part of the the free with uh, Thiago Motta out. So he's getting minutes on the pitch now. They've kind of found a way to squeeze him in. PSG don't need three central midfielders playing the league under so they can have an extra attacker. Uh, I get the feeling in the summer if they can't shift De Maria and can't shift Lucas there'll be some, some inquiries for Draxler. Maybe then it might go, depend. I think it all depends on how many minutes he finds on the pitch. So it's going to be interesting to watch him playing in the midfield. If they can kind of give him that position, I think he'd be quite happy to stay. Okay, so moving on, what's the latest with Marcelo Bielsa? It's, it's one of the most incredible <laughs> oh, stories I've ever heard. It's one of the most bizarre, because it came, obviously it came out he's been suspended and then there was the story that Leland suspended him because he went to Chile without anyone knowing, which no one's either confirmed or denied, which is bizarre. And he went to Chelsea's friend who passed away, which is really sad. And you think you don't want to be that club who sacks Marcel Bielsa because he's shown compassion for a really close friend. You don't want to be that. So I think every Leo fan's kind of hoping this isn't the situation. Uh, there's a lot of problems internally. Luis Campos, the sporting the, the director of football, was really unhappy with the way that Bielsa's been using the players that he's, he's at a bottom and they're really not getting on. And then the players apparently revolted against Bielsa's tactics. They wanted to play in their, their natural positions, which I suppose isn't the worst thing to complain about. So they, But then it's all gone even worse. The the Freena lost to Montpellier at the weekend. There were stories from, from from within the club, from people I know, that the the players got a bit of a balking, apart from two, the goalkeeper and uh, Amadou Samaro, the centre-back, who just returned. There was players trying to fight against coaching staff. Uh, El Ghazi came off after eight minutes, but apparently he wasn't injured. He just wanted to get a hell away from the team as soon as possible. It's an absolute... Apart from now that Bielsa's gone, the players aren't as afraid to air their uh, their unhappiness and they're just it's all gone completely bad and, and to be fair Bielsa has made a lot of this because he bought the players he got rid of all the experience he's signed off on a lot of these signings and it's just an absolute disaster it it really genuinely sounds like it alright <laughs> um, yeah. one, one final question before we let you go uh, maybe a word about Leon and the best front three in France and the and the revival of Memphis Depay Memphis Depay yeah he's been yeah. he started off quite Quite sort of quietly, I think he was getting used to having the new guys like Mariano Diaz and Bertrand Triori and also Nabil Fakir, who's been phenomenal. But you look at the way Depay is picking up the goals now. He got a couple at the weekend again against Nice, looking looking reborn and looking like this this sort of player that Man United I think hoped had signed. 
But you, you look at Leon's front three, uh, Nabil Fakir, Depay, Mariano, they've got more goals than both PSG and Man City's front three, which is those two are being lauded as the best teams in Europe and Leon are, are sticking with them in goal scored. I think Fakir's the one that's the most exciting because he had that really horrible knee injury before the European Championships and missed out and everyone was sort of hovering over him. But now he he's Leon's leader, he's their captain, he sort of took over the mantle from Lacazette and he's just a force of nature, definitely one to, to keep an eye on for, for the summer. Leon, what about that? Outscoring Man City and PSG. Wow. That's pretty it de- good. Depends, maybe it depends how you define Man City's front three. It's a bit unfair. Gabriel Jesus and Aguero split the minutes, don't they? Yeah. What I wanted to know was Edison Cavani. I wanted to know your thoughts on it because I'm so divided on him. You you would have seen him play for uh, for Napoli. For me, it's wonderful. I mean, he he scored one out, one out of two occasions, something like that. For me, it, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable that he's still playing in Paris Saint Germain. Because for me, the, you need, he deserve a better team. Uh, yeah, I I don't believe the hype in uh, Paris Saint Germain. No, no, I don't wow. bite. Well, I, I have to say that one of the highlights of my year was seeing them get knocked out of the Champions League. That was astounding. Huh. I mean, is that a bit harsh? You're looking at me. <laughs> you're looking at me like it's a bit crazy. No, not at all. No. It was fun. Uh, yeah, that was. It was a wild night. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Lewis, Andrea, Andrew, and our producer Demo. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.